Welcome back to the Mental Health Commute with Dr. Walt Duffy and Matt Duffy. In this episode, we are going to discuss electroconvulsive therapy, ECT. We've talked about interventional psychiatry, and we've talked some about transcranial magnetic stimulation, TMS. We touched on vagal nerve stimulation, VNS, a little bit. The next in that series is ECT. It used to be called electroshock therapy. That was sort of a pejorative name. A nicer name for that is electroconvulsive therapy. What is that? It is a treatment that you is often in hospital setting. It requires anesthesia of a short period of time. Seizure is induced in your brain for usually under a minute. Then you have a short recovery period and you often cannot drive home from the procedure. Somebody has to drive you home. It's used often for severe refractory depression, psychotic depression. It's used in bipolar disorder, both for depression and mania. It's used in some conditions like catatonia, where somebody might be in a stupor, unresponsive. That might be from depression, something else. Be used in pregnancy when somebody has depression and they don't want to take meds or psychotic depression. It's used in geriatrics and depression and bipolar depression. Sometimes it's even used in schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder. Predominant use of it is in more of depressive episodes, psychotic depressive episodes. It is on that continuum of treatment that we have. There's some people hear that term and they go, oh my gosh, why would I ever go and receive that treatment? What I can say, just to start out with, is do we use that treatment at elevation and I do not personally do that, but we refer to that. If we see it as long as the continuum of treatment that we use, we have had people who have had ECT, not had a successful course. They might have had some side effects, which we'll talk about. They decided to come back and do TMS instead. But we've also had some people who have not had a full response to TMS, or they've had several sessions of TMS, and it's has lost some of its effectiveness, and they've gone and done ECT, and they've had very good effects. We've also had people who've done both TMS and ECT, and they have not had robust response or lost some of it, and they've ended up doing the vagal nerve stimulation, and they've had very good response. So it's a treatment modality that exists and is appropriate for use. Interesting It has the best data, the most effective data, anywhere from 70 to 90% effectiveness. So though that might be short-lived, not long-lived, a lot of people might need either maintenance or they need to stay on medications afterwards. There's a lot we can cover in ECT, right? I think the main point to start is we talk about stigma in mental health, and ECT is probably the biggest stigma of a treatment for even people receiving mental health treatment. There's a, an air when you bring up ECT and it's, it's a fear a lot of times because the way it's portrayed in, in movies and things is it's a violent treatment. You're going to shake the bed and <laughs> you're going to have a seizure and seizure is a scary word. Mm-hmm. Addressing the stigma of it a little bit, why is it useful as a treatment if it's such a scary and seizures are bad, right? I'm taught that seizures mean something worse is going on. Why is seizure almost a disorder, right? People have seizure disorders. Why is something like that considered a treatment? Well, it's sort of interesting. What they have found in people who have had seizures is some of those people have had improvement in their mood over time, right? What they find is that short controlled seizures, not a seizure disorder, of a specific length and given a number of times a week to start out with, can be very helpful. It is thought that when you create a seizure in your brain, we know that you release 
neurochemicals such as dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine, but it is also thought that ECT works by neuroplasticity, which we've touched on quite a bit, where you might be enhancing the connections between your neurons or even potentially growing new neurons in those networks that help you get out of like that severe depressive episode, uh, severe suicidal thoughts. When you think of somebody with a seizure disorder, you're thinking of somebody who's having seizures that are not wanted uncontrolled. This is a planned course of treatment where you're giving brief anesthesia. Your body is not shaking all over the place. What does ECT involve, right? You have an anesthetist in the room delivering the the anesthesia. You're usually under for around 20 minutes or so. You have a muscle relaxant that's given. So you have an IV in your arm that's brief. Why do you have a muscle relaxant? So when you have the seizure, your whole body is not shaking. They usually put a blood pressure cuff on your ankle or so. Why is that? It's so that muscle relaxant does not go into your foot so that you can observe the person administering the ECT can observe your foot going when you have a seizure. I mean, it's also an EEG is followed on the monitor. They watch your heart rate, your blood pressure. They watch your brain activity, your EEG. And then you're giving brief electrical stimulus while you're out. And that's when the seizure is induced. And you often have a piece in your mouth so that you do not bite your tongue or hurt your teeth or anything. After the treatment, you might have some brief confusion You might have muscle aches, you might have a headache, you might be tired, and there's medicines can be given for that. The biggest side effects that are talked about that people fear are, I'm not going to be able to remember anything. I'm going to not have a memory. When you really look at the ECT data, some people might have what we call short retrograde amnesia, which means that the events that have happened right before being given the ECT treatment, you might not have the clearest memory of. It could happen that you might not have the clearest memory of those events for a couple days. I mean, in, in rare instances, it goes back longer. Most of that stuff is recovered over time after you get through the ECT treatments. Now, during the time that you're getting ECT three times a week, what we call more the acute episode of the treatment, you might have more confusion and fogginess of memory concentration during that time. But usually most of that comes back. But some people still continue to complain about, I just, I don't remember everything from that time and my thoughts are not as clear going forward. So that's why sometimes people come into like TMS or do other things. And most people need to still stay on medicines. But there's some people, why would you do ECT again? There's some people who have a fantastic response to it. Medicines haven't worked. Other treatments haven't worked. So they know when they get a certain degree of depression, they need to get back into ECT. I try and think of why ECT works and where it fits into the paradigm. Here's my thought, and I was taught there's no stupid questions, so I'm probably wrong, and I'll let you correct, right? If I consider your brain a house, and when you're dealing with depression or these disorders, your house is in disarray. Medications, therapy, to some degree, are about repairing what's there or helping the existing structure. I view ECT as more, we're just going to break it down and start over and give your brain a chance to reset. Is that a, a way to consider how ECT is different from other things? Instead of trying to repair, it's more of trying to give your brain a reset? Well, people will often talk about ECT as a reset treatment, but in that realm, TMS is also a reset treatment. We talk about it like that. 
I think ECT is a very quick treatment, get a quicker response. So when I think about the house, it's sort of how much, how severe is the disrepair of the house? Do I have to go in and sort of take down the whole structure and build it up again? Or is there just like one room in a little bit of disarray? There's one room, a little disarray, we'll probably be starting with medications, right? Or therapy and moving forward. We just need to remodel a little bit. (laughs) How long a time do we have to do that? Do I have to do a full makeover in a day or two, you know, or in a week? Then I'm going to go to a higher intensity treatment. If you're acutely suicidal and I can't get you out of that, say you're in the hospital and you're still suicidal and trying to hurt yourself even in that environment, I need to take pretty drastic measure to help you out, right? It sort of depends where you are in the functioning level, what support systems you have in place, what you think about medicines, treatments, how long do you have to get better, what do we need to do? All those things are on the table, and I think the biggest thing we've talked about before is letting the person know what the available treatments are to them. Interesting that you would think for something non-invasive, like TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation, getting maintenance treatments for depression would be really easy. You know, you do the acute course, then the insurance companies would approve maintenance treatments. But it's actually not the case. ECT, which is much more invasive treatment, you're more likely to get approval from insurance companies to do maintenance treatments for your depression ongoing. If I look at meds versus TMS versus ECT, this is what just popped into my brain. (laughs) A lot of times when we're discussing these things, we're talking about a lack of chemical in the brain or efficient use of chemical in the brain. So how I talk about it is it's there, but your synapse is not allowing it to transfer. For me, it's you have a resource behind a door. So you're trying to get into your kitchen to get food and you have a door in front of you. For some reason, this door is not operating effectively for you to be able to get into the room and get food. Taking medications is like going to get fast food. You don't go through that door the food is brought in from the outside. If for some reason you don't like the fast food, you're focused on the door, the fast food isn't satiating your appetite. TMS is, well, we're just going to kick that door in. We're going to tell you your brain, no, that door needs to open, and we're just going to kick it open until it works. And if we can't kick it open, or kicking open it isn't effective, ECT is we're just going to rip the door out and rebuild it. Is that a real (laughs) non-medical way of looking at it? I think TMS and ECT are sort of getting at similar things. They're just different ways of doing it. TMS, you might be in a series of 30 to 36 treatments. might take longer. The effects might last longer also, right? ECT is going in and doing that type of job in a different way, potentially quicker with other potential side effects that might come out from that. For most people, what's an expectation of when they may hear about ECT, when they might consider bringing up ECT with their physician about themselves or or someone they know who's struggling. Where does it fit into the treatment paradigm? Because I think what we've talked about before is efficacy. And you say ECT has a very high efficacy rate. Correct. In some of our other discussions, we've said, well, high efficacy should be nearer to the front line of treatment because why go through things that are less chance of working? ECT isn't always talked about as, even though it's super efficacious for a majority of people, we still don't look at it as the first line from a medical perspective. Correct, because most people, for one, do not want to go through a series of treatments where they can't drive for the whole day, 
might not be able to work for a little while. And then in order for, to keep effectiveness, most people would have to continue to do that. So you would have to be able to continue in maintenance and with those restrictions, right? So most people do not want to do that. So when we consider ECT, when most people consider ECT is for severe depression that has been not responsive to medications and other treatments. Or, like I said, you're at high risk of suicide. You have something that may be depression with catatonia where you're not speaking, you're just laying there not moving. Or if people with depression with psychotic features that have are at high risk also for things like suicide, they have not responded quickly to medication treatment. So when you're in a hospital setting, if you're admitted into the hospital, you're at a higher likelihood probably to receive ECT for that to be brought up. On the outpatient basis, it sort of is left somewhat to the provider's belief in ECT, for one, the availability of ECT in your area. In a lot of rural areas, ECT is not available at all. And then just where they feel it fits on that treatment paradigm. The final point that we probably want to touch on, because we mentioned it a couple times, is this potential for impact to your memory. And I think what we want to touch on is just what's the likelihood that that's going to happen? Is there some standard out there that someone can be told of? Is it 100% of people who go through are going to have a potential impact to their memory? Or is it less than 1% but we have to say it? What's their someone's need to know possibility of expectedness? I do not have the number at the top of my head. I can just tell you from experience with patients. And that also comes down to that I often will see somebody who either not responded fully to the ECT or has had side effects to the ECT. But what you sort of read is that it's not that uncommon to have some mild memory issues, some of that retrograde amnesia during the time. A lot of that clears post-ECT, and it's much more likely to be an issue when you're getting acute treatments three times per week. The more you often you get them, sometimes bilateral ECT is more associated with it than unilateral. Also, over time, the amount of power they've had to use to induce a seizure, they've fine-tuned those treatment parameters, so it's led to less of that. But there's a difference between what's tested, unlike neuropsych testing afterwards, where some people do, but some people don't, versus what people just sort of feel. More people than what might show up in testing can say that I don't feel as clear as I was before. I have other people who have responded fantastically to ECT, and they have none of those issues. So even though it's a risk we've been talking about, it's not guaranteed to happen. It's like any side effect. Some people will experience it. Probably the vast majority don't have lifelong impact. Correct. So thank you for joining us on this episode of the Mental Health Commute. Again, if you have any questions, please send them to podcast at elevation.com and subscribe and download. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.